Thank you for listening to the following film's podcast. George Young, the drug smuggler immortalized by Johnny Depp in Blow, left for California in the late 60s. With pennies in his pockets, two cases of Budweiser in the back seat, and his best pal riding shotgun. Forty years and four prison stints later, Young returned to visit his boyhood home at 30 Abigail Adams Circle. He was unsure if his neighbors would throw rocks or tell him to leave politely. Young's homecoming can be seen in the documentary Boston George, which charts his improbable journey from Patriot Ledger newsboy to high school football star to cocaine trafficker for Pablo Escobar's Medellin cartel. Subtitled Famous Without the Fortune, the documentary's first two episodes premiere Friday, July 22nd on Fandor. show will also be available on VOD. Today I'm joined by Chris Chesson and Georgette Angelos to discuss their work on Boston George, Famous Without the Fortune. This episode is sponsored by Bookman's. If you would like to support the following film's podcast, you can do so by leaving us a review or you can go to anchor.fm slash following films slash subscribe. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Hello. Hey, how are you today? Good. Thank you so I much for taking about to time. send you an email. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, I was just uh, getting things set up here. So sorry about that. No, no worries. Behind. How are you doing today? Can't complain. Good, good. Thank you both so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. So oh, of course. Um, thank you. Yeah, just to kind of jump right into it, um, because, man, there's, there's a lot to say about George, clearly. Um, what led you to decide to take on this project? Because it's something that, um, man, it, he's such an, to me, um, one of the most unusual uh, characters that he's this one part philosopher, one part almost lyrical poet and drug dealer. And he's kind of of the, of that world, but there's something so unique to him that there's a lot of people that tell good stories, but very few tell them as well as he does. He could tell a story, I think about ice cream melting and it would be fascinating, but he happens to have one of the most compelling stories of anybody on earth. So it's just that combination. It's pretty insane. So I would imagine that's why there's plenty of story to tell with this guy, but what, what attracted you to tell his story a little bit further? I, I happened to be at the same location where he was signing autographs. I was there filming, um, you know, at my job prior to taking on the docuseries. And someone had come over to me, you know, camera in hand, and they're like, hey, you know, put, put your stuff down really quick. George Young is over here. Do you want to meet him? He's who the movie Blow is based on. So, of course, I dropped my stuff, and I went over, and we met, and we had this very um, funny exchange. And, uh, you know, I kind of, like, sat on his lap. We did the whole thing and had a big laugh and took a great picture, and I thought that that would be it. But someone had told him that um, I was a film producer. I was the head of production for Snoop Dogg Media Company. And um, they just kind of, it was a simple phone call. Do you know any producers that would want to produce George Young's life story? And like something, you know, knocked me on the head. I, without any hesitancy, said, yeah, I would love to. And they're like, well, you know, well, what about your job? Whatever. I was like, let me just have some conversations with him. And um yeah, that was it. You know, I picked up the phone. I called Chris. We'd been working with each other before. And um, we really had that kind of guerrilla shooting, no prisoners vibe about the of us. And I knew that he was the perfect fit for um, us to take on the project. And it kind of was all history after that. What about you, Chris? You get that call. Were you familiar 
with uh, George or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, she, the first question was, do you know who George Young was? Didn't say hi, didn't do anything. Like, I was just, hello. And she goes, do you know who George Young was? And I immediately knew. Like, I've, I have a list of, of really good movies that when they come on, I watched them. It's Shawshank, Into the Wild, Blow, shit like that. And I was like, absolutely. And she gave, gave me pretty much those details. Well, he wants to do this documentary. I said, thousand percent. I'm in. Let's do this. And so how, from that initial phone call, those first meetings right then, how long ago was that? And how long did it take for you to start ramping into production and kind of finding this story? Well, that was... Uh, that was pretty much at the end go ahead. of 2016. Go ahead. I was just say, at the end of 2016, the beginning conversations, I, you know, I'd never called out of work sick and I hope none of my old bosses see this and get mad at me, but I, for the first time in, <laughs> in almost three years in that position, I called out sick on a Wednesday and, um, went up and George signed his life rights over to us. It was kind of a very point late conversation. Um, we're going to take care of you. We're going to do this right. Um, and again, after that, it was all history. I mean, it was, it was within maybe a two month time period, we got our crew together. We had the life rights signed. We had everything ready to go and we were amping up for our food, our first shoot. And, um, true to form, pretty much right out the gates, it was hell on wheels because we got a phone call um, on our way up to and arrested for violating his probation. So what we thought was going to be our first interview with him, um, sitting down, talking to him about his life in his living room was actually through glass at the Sacramento jail with him in a jumpsuit. So it was absolutely wild. And that definitely set the precedence for the rest of the, the rest of the endeavor. And at what point did you start reaching out to the other people? Because the FBI agents actually play a much larger role in this than I would have thought in this story. And I love that it has that balance between um, both sides where there's actually, there's far more in common with both sides of the law here than you may have initially thought um, hearing this story. So uh, Chris, maybe what, um, what point did you decide to start reaching out to them to flesh out this story? I I mean, it it was immediate. Uh, We knew the stories and here's the cool part. George was still friends with Mike and Tom McManus who were in there. So it was, it wasn't like we had to track them down, you know, or do anything like that. They were, you know, Hey, we want to tell. And they were of course like, absolutely. You know, we still care about George. They talked frequently. They wanted good things for him. So that kind of just, a lot of stuff fell into place. You know, he was, uh, you know, that kind of character where people just fell in love with him and they wanted to do things for him and and to get those DEA. And that was, geez, that was the first episode we completed. Like, you know, we went, like Georgette said, we when we had a parole violation and he went back to jail, as soon as he got out on July 4th, we were like, well, we better go because we have no idea what's going to happen. So <laughs> immediately we just, you know, we hit the ground running, no plan, no anything. We didn't have a, you know, an editing plan. We knew it would be a docu-series because there's just too many good stories. But even though we cut out a bunch, it was just, it, it kind of fell into place. And a lot of people, you know, again, Bruce Porter, DEA, all of them are like, yeah, we let's, I want to tell, you know, some great stories about him. It's pretty unusual to have people that are, um, that their interest is to share the, the story of the drug dealer from the law side, that it's not their own self-interest. Yeah. I want to tell my side of the story that it's no, no, this supports George. Sure. Let me help out George. That's such an unusual thing that they have genuine affection for this guy. And it's readily apparent right away when he's saying, Oh, because you interview him and he's saying, yeah, I've 
kept in contact with these guys. And who the hell keeps in contact with the people who arrested them? That's just, I, I've never been arrested, but I would imagine I might hold a little bit of spite towards them. He seems totally fine with it, which is really unusual. George is the epitome of a Clint Eastwood movie. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like between the cop and the outlaw and whatever, it was always that kind of exchange where they kind of tip their hat to each other after they just duped it out. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what it was where they're like, all right, cool. See you next, see you next time. Um, and they have this weird understanding and this weird respect for each other. And that was George true to form. Um, and that was, um, it was automatically flooded, you know, over to anyone else who was around him, you know, it was, it was contagious. So I think that even the DEA agents, um, in their, uh, probably other uptight, you know, tracking down other criminals way. You know, I don't think they ever had any type of association of other than that outside of George. Well, these were really good line. And on that note was in order to be a bad guy, there's got to be some good guys too. So he didn't fault them <laughs> for arresting, but it's in like one of the little promos that have been, shared and that line sticks with me like well, they're doing their job i'm doing mine yeah and it's it not holding any ill will towards them but these de agents at that time they weren't kind of what you would picture um there's one he tells the story right away he's saying that if there was a they, they lived the lifestyle of drug dealers really where if a ferrari was impounded at two o'clock in the afternoon by the time they you know by the time that night came they would be driving at home so that they could have that appearance and let, live that. So they were enjoying a lot of the fruits of what it meant to live that lifestyle. But then they also got to be a cop on this side as well. So it seems like there was a little bit of, it's a special kind of person that wants to play both sides of it that way. Um, so I could see why they would maybe enjoy um, George a little bit more than the average kind of, uh, I think what you, the just the facts, ma'am, kind of picture of a FBI agent, FBI agent that I have in the back of my mind that these guys were a little bit, uh, not that they weren't professional, but I think you have to have a little bit more of a wild streak to have survived in the late seventies, early eighties, <laughs> Miami. Well, I, drug was gonna, I was going to say something about, I mean, imagine being 22, living in Fort Lauderdale, having all this money and, you know, they'd go out and spend 10,000 on dinner, but yeah. the, a guy like George, they didn't have to worry about, yeah, he had a briefcase with a gun, but George didn't carry a gun ever. So they weren't really in danger. I mean, I'm sure they were. I'm not taking anything away from the DEA. I'm sure they were. But like with George, for instance, can you imagine how fun that must have been? Like a guy who's <laughs> definitely not in danger. Like he's just a, you know, would go to the bar and buy everybody drinks. And, you know, like that, the DEA undercover at 22, Fort Lauderdale in the 70s. Wow. <laughs> wow. I don't know if I would have made it out of that. I'm glad that I was only three at the time. I, I don't think I have the stuff to have made those choices that they made. Yeah. <laughs> and so what was the, for you, the, um, the reason that you wanted to expand upon the story? Cause there was so much more to him than I knew about. I thought I knew quite a bit, honestly, knowing, knowing the movie, knowing the book, and, but there's all these other details and colors that you're able to really dive into here. Um, was it just the idea of maybe opening this up to people that hadn't seen it before? Or were you immediately just aware that there was so much more to his story that maybe people weren't aware of? In the words of George, it's the gods of chaos one more once. Um, you know, it's, it's again, the existentialism that goes along with, with the statement, um, which, you know, especially once you watch the series, you're going to be right back in those shoes of feeling how we felt and the connective tissue between 
um, the man, the myth, the legend. But, you know, I know for me and Chris, it was, it was total gut instinct. You know, we had no clue what was going to go on. We knew that it was a huge pain in the butt, everything that was happening. And we knew that it came with a lot of weight, but um, it was just something about it that we just couldn't stop saying no to, you know, even Bruce Porter, um, just as a little bit of a, of a leak, you know, it's like, he'll say it in the docuseries. It's it, he almost quit a million times and he was just like, all right, I'm not, I'm done writing this book. I can't do it anymore. Uh, and of course we had those moments, um, never said that, never said them out loud, but it was just, um, you just, it's, you just couldn't stop coming back for more. And we know that that's how the viewers are going to feel. You know, you just can't stop listening. You can't stop rolling. You can't stop moving. Um, that was, I mean, that was it for us. Like we had no idea what we were getting it, getting ourselves into, but, um, every time I said it's George, you know, every time something really cool would happen, especially, you know, after we were at Johnny Depp's house, I was just like, can you believe this happened? He's like, yeah, baby, of course it was, you know, it was written in the stars somewhere. Like it was, it was always meant to be, you know, me and you were meant to be, uh, this was meant to be, it's all meant to, you know, it was like all kind of written somewhere. And, um, and I still live by that. I, I live by that code for sure. And, uh, George helped me realize that, you know, someone that cool, and um, that really knows his really knows his stuff. If he feels like that, then we must be, we must be onto something, and we definitely were. And do you happen to have because you listen to George talk for five minutes, and he just drops these little expressions, these phrases that I've never heard before, where you're just George. like, I'm taking notes like throughout while I'm watching this because it's like it, he just throws out there. Somebody says something, he's like, oh, well, you know, freedom. It's the realm of illusion. You're like. Who talks like that? Who actually says shit like that just randomly off the top of their head? And it's just, I'm wondering if you had a favorite witticism, I guess, that George just randomly threw out there, one that kind of stuck with you. This will start with Chris, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. There's there's a lot. I mean, Georgette, Gods of Chaos, the one more once. But, like, we would have specific things, like, I mean, just, like, jokes and whatever. And I've told this a lot, but... George would, you know, I, I grew up playing golf, right? And so he would call me and he, he'd, if I didn't answer, he'd leave a message like, hey, Texas, always play. Oh, yeah, he'd call me Texas. Always play the back nine first. You get to the bar sooner. And I'm like, it's genius. Like, it really is genius. You know, how I mean, I grew up playing golf. I didn't even think of that. So he's just, he was just so enlightened. I mean, he was so well read. It's, you know, these are the kind of conversations. He wasn't uh, the cocaine cowboy type, you know, he would sit down and you literally, you know, that's why we didn't focus a, a whole lot on the smuggling aspects and the reality of exactly what we were left with, which he was still an outlaw, but the same reason why DEA agents and Johnny Depp and Bruce Porter loved him is this is the way he talks to everyone. And it's just, it's, it's really cool to, to have these conversations or have had these conversations with him. And what about you, Georgia? Is there any little uh, nugget of wisdom that you took away that you like to you maybe find yourself repeating every once in a while? Definitely. Um, the one that comes to mind, and it was one of those things where I was like scrambling for anything to record what I was listening to. You know what I mean? It's just like I was always kicking myself because <laughs> we'd have these really late night conversations. I mean, I was on the phone with him for like hours, multiple days a week, um, you know, maybe not seven, but close. <laughs> and um I, I mean, you know, I recorded some conversations, obviously letting him know, like, Hey, I'm just going to like start recording just for fun and blah, blah, blah. But, um, there was one time that he like really got kind of quiet. He goes, he goes, it's like a story of Moses coming back from the desert. Isn't it like, you know, it was him talking about himself, like coming out of the mirage of like the desert after like 40 days, you know? And, 
And it was just this wild, you're like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> and, and, um, but it was so spot on, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it was so spot on for whatever it was that we were talking about. Cause it was like, you know, this redemption story was going on and he was having so many re- like moments of reconciliation from us taking back to his home in Weymouth. And, um, you know, every time we got them, got done filming, he was like, you guys have just given me the best week of my life. And each week got better and each filming and everything we were doing got better. But it was just like, it was like, it's like the spirit of Moses coming out of the desert, isn't it? And you just have this, you're like, yeah, that, that's exactly what it is, you know? And, and I mean, everything like that was always this little tidbits. We were just saying um, before, talking about how, many, how much footage we have, and how many hours and hours and hours of footage it is. And it was because we never knew when to stop filming. We never knew when to stop recording. It was like so hard, you know, we're like hanging on every word, like, okay, like, are we cutting or, or do you have more, you know, like what's going on? And, and. 99.9% of the time it, we are very happy that we'd never turn the cameras off because it was, it was gold. Even when we thought that we were done filming. Yeah. We <laughs> would leave the microphones on 1000%. Like it would, it wasn't about the camera going, but we'd like, all right, cut. And Benton, our DP would like, just shut it off. Cause he just doesn't stop with this shit. It just keeps <laughs> going. You're like, and like George X said, you'd catch him like, George, shut up. We're not even rolling. What are you doing? Now you got to repeat it. And he says it off camera so much better. When you put him on the camera, he would stammer or something. And you're like, damn, he says that. So we would, we learned and we would leave the microphones on him. That's, that's kind of what I assumed you would have to do with him. Cause he just seems so completely present all the time. It doesn't feel like it's a front that he's putting on, that he's putting on a show that it's just, this is who this guy is all the time. That if you ran into him, this is how he would treat you. Um, if you never had heard of him, you would probably just end up spending the rest of the day hanging out hearing stories from this guy. Cause it just seems like he's one of those yarn spinners that, you know, he's that uncle that you wish you had when you were growing up, somebody that could have, you know, given you the, that advice to help uh, shape your young adult years. And I'm just, how do you shape a story like this with that much footage and that kind of a master storyteller like this? And I've noticed that the episodes that you've broken this down into this docuseries, they're different lengths. It's not like a formula that you're going into that you're finding the arc in each one of these like sort of chapters of the story. How do you shape it overall as a whole story? And then how do you shape it into the, each individual episodes as well? You know, we went uh, completely backwards on this thing. Like I said earlier, we had to immediately go into filming. We didn't know what we were going to capture. And once he really started opening up, we kind of, you know, again, episode. I mean, at one point it was like eight episodes, uh, you know, was the idea. And then it, it slowly condensed a little bit. Each episode uh, when we started the editing process was like an hour and a half. We had to cut out a wow. lot of good stories, a lot of good people to keep it. You know, I, I mean, unfortunately, you know, today there's not a lot of people that sit down and watch two hour movies, two and a half hour movies, unless Martin Scorsese's producing them. So, you know, we wanted to keep that, you know, in line with with us, but we really didn't know the shape it would take until we sat down after capturing everything. Uh, and then it came together like, all right, let's, you know, we had to like vote on what we were going to cut. Cause we're like, damn, that's a good story. We really going to take that out. And, you know, we'll have to share them all on a podcast because I mean, we've got hundreds of hours of, of interviews and stuff like this. Like you said, we've talked about it before. You could take an interview with George, just put it on YouTube and probably have a million people just sit there and watch and listen to him talk for an hour. I would. Yeah. 
100%. Is, that, is that good? So, you know, again, we, 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 it didn't take shape until after we were done filming. Uh, but we knew because of the experiences that we had, we needed to show past and present. You know, the reason for famous without the fortune is when he came out, he didn't have anything. Yeah. You know, Georgette and I were, you know, it. I mean, he had friends, but to, to really help him. But we couldn't walk into a restaurant without someone recognizing and the rest of the restaurant lined up to get an autograph everywhere. No matter where we were, it happens. And it was, you know, so all of it, the names, the, the episodes, just kind of what Georgette say or George is written in the stars. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it I you know, there's one thing that we will as audiences, it's very strange because you're right. There is a um, willingness to look for things that are very short form, but there's also this deep dive mentality now where people will listen to podcasts that are three and a half hours long at this point um, with people that are just good storytellers. You'll find 10 part documentary series that um, goes super deep on one individual story. And I think that there is this bizarre mix of really long form storytelling and incredibly short form storytelling. So it's like that, that middle ground doesn't seem to really exist anymore for that two to three hour spot. Um, unless you're right, it's like a big event type thing, but it's like, we, we have this incredible combination of TikTok and then like six hour podcasts on hardcore history or whatever it is that you're listening to. So it's kind of unusual in that way, but I'm only saying that as a um, desperate plea to release the rest of the footage because I could take anything really doesn't matter if it's repetitive, the same story just told slightly different. I, I I'd listen to it again. I'd be fine with that. So we can make more episodes. That's fine. I'm okay with that. The story is never ending. It really isn't. <laughs> and then how, um, for you have the, um, release coming up here. And so, um, are you releasing these all at once or is it something that's going to go week by week when you're um, putting these up? It'll be the first two come out tomorrow. Um, and then the following two are, are the following Friday and the finale is the third Friday. So with the over a three week time period. How are you feeling right now with kind of uh, the, the way that it's that you're about to birth the child into the world, as it were, you're about to release. <laughs> Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So earlier today, when I went into Bookman's, I was thinking about the conversation I was having earlier today, and I just wanted to check out a movie that maybe was a genre film, but had a little bit more on its mind. Something that was a horror film, maybe something that had a political or social commentary underneath it. And when I walked into Bookman's, I happened to come across the 4K edition of Candyman, uh, the one that Scream Factory put out earlier this year, and it's a phenomenal set. I'm really looking forward to watching it tonight. But today I'm joined by my son, Jacob, who had some questions about Candyman, the movie, when he was looking at uh, the Blu-ray cover, he had some questions. So let's kind of go through those right now. So Jacob, come here. Yes. Uh, what is your first question about this Candyman? Um, um, what, what happens if you say your, his name five times? That's a, that's a good question, because on the bottom of the Blu-ray case, it says, we dare you to say his name five times. So if you look in a mirror in the movie and you say Candyman five times, Candyman will appear. He'll come there. And he'll kill. Oh, well, wow. Um, I, I didn't tell you that, but yeah, that, that's that's what would happen. 
Because this is make-believe. It's not a real thing that happens. This is just a story. It's just pretend. Good, good, good. So Candyman shows up in the room and then lights out. So do you have any other questions about the uh, the Blu-ray case here that you're looking at? Uh, why is there a bee right there? Okay, that's a good question. So the bee is there because Candyman, uh, well, what do you think? Well, if you had to, if you were going to watch this movie, if you had to think, why would there be a bee there? What do you think is going on in this picture? I think a, pink, um, a bee affected him. That's right. He, he was bitten by bees. That's right. Yep. That's that's why there's a bee there because the candy man was bitten by bees. And and means so, bees, means he would kill the bees that did that. Well, no, not necessarily. But so, do you have any other questions about this on here? Um, why is he in the eye? Oh, that's candy man. That's just a reflection. So this is this eyeball right here. It represents there's a woman who's looking in the mirror, and then she can see Candyman in the mirror also. So I think that's what that's trying to portray. So I have a question for you about this movie. Do you think this is a movie that a kid should watch? No. Is this a movie that you ever think you'll watch? When you're a grown up, do you ever want to see Candyman? Yes. When you're a grown up? Okay, cool. As long as it's not too horrifying. It's not that bad. It's a lot of fun. Mom loves this movie. I love this movie. So we're going to probably watch this later tonight. How, wait, but how do you know all this stuff? How do I know oh, all this about it? Well, because I like movies a lot. And that's why I have a movie podcast so that I can talk about movies. And why do you actually know all about what's in this movie? Because I've seen it a bunch of times. Oh. Um, the classic one, like part one? Yeah, well, there's actually, there's four Candyman movies. There's a uh, three that star Tony Todd, who's that guy right there. He's actually, Tony Todd is a really well-respected genre actor. I like him a lot. In fact, we're connected on Twitter and we end up talking about music a lot. So really nice guy. He's not scary at all, the guy who plays Candyman in real life. And then there was a remake that was done, or I guess it's kind of a sequel to it that was done recently, came out last year, that's really, really good, or a couple years now, I guess it's, it's been out for. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. But, I have a new yeah. question. Why is there a Broadway deal? Well, that just makes it a little bit more horrifying. So I think we need to get back to the interview. Why don't you uh, just go ahead and say thank you for listening to the show to the people. Bye. Enjoy the rest of the show. Well, yeah, I mean, you can. I I lost you there. I said that's pretty much how it feels. You know, I I am a mother and um, you have that moment of being like, I hope my baby's okay. (laughs) Like, I hope my baby's going to be okay. I hope everything's okay. I hope the delivery is perfect, you know, and and um, it's and that your that your baby's welcome with all the love and and uh, support that it deserves that you've earned and for carrying it for five years almost, you know like, <laughs> that's a long gestation period so. yeah, like, yeah exactly nine months for me was a was a cakewalk uh, <laughs> so uh, it should be it should be very good but me and Chris keeps you know kind of like keep texting each other like hey uh, is this real you know is this real? right now and and it is most definitely real life so we're excited well you you should be and i'm i'm kind of i'm excited to see the conversation around this individual around george re-engaged again because it's such a wonderful fun i mean i say wonderful because i mean there's real stakes here there's people that got really hurt because of you know the cocaine trade in this country so it's not to take away from that side of it 
but I mean, I, it's still, this would have happened eventually, I guess, probably. I mean, he's referred to as the Henry Ford of cocaine by one of the FBI agents at some point. So there's a ton of damage that was left in his wake for sure. But I think that's what the sad thing is, um, you know, cause obviously we have this outpouring of love and support, but I do know before, well, you know, once we started taking on the project, you did see, and I saw those messages, like, you know, when we took over the socials and you'd see those messages, you know, you ruined my parents' life, you ruined my dad's life, blah, 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 because of being, you know, because of a cocaine addiction or, you know, what turned into the crack epidemic. Um, and that's why as filmmakers, we had to stay extremely unbiased. You know, we talked about George and such levity right now. Um, but I think the reason why for us, um, the other side of the filmmaking and the personal love and support that we had for him as an individual is because he absolutely had no intention you know, he said, it, he said, if, if it would have been, what was it? What did he compare it to? Potatoes. Yeah. If I could have sold potatoes for whatever, a gram. 60,000 a kilo. <laughs> potatoes. Well, yeah. You know, all the stars were doing cocaine. It wasn't like, um, you know, selling it to the single mom who has a drug problem, who, you know, that you just had no, we had no idea. He had no idea what it was going to become. Um, granted, it doesn't take, you know, it, George was a very, very, very intelligent human being. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that this could go wrong. Um, but, but um, I think that there was a huge, huge, huge level of not so much regret, but um, understanding of how that affected people and it to the masses, you know, to the millions. And um, I do know as an older man, there was definitely, uh, it was definitely a, a soul searching process for him um, through his almost 25 years in prison to realize like what had what he had done. And, um, you know, he came out relatively remorseful, I'd say. Well, if you, if you, if you, you know, episode five, when the title plate comes on, there is some voiceover of what George thinks about this. And I don't really want to ruin it, but I don't know if people will notice, but he says, if I would have known then what I know today, I wouldn't have moved a gram of it. That was one of that was from one of his first interviews with us without even knowing us. So you know, it was innocence. It, yeah. it would definitely. So I, I, I think changed. you pick up on that right away. That there, there's not. You don't feel that he's a malicious person that was just that self-serving and unaware. I mean, there's. I, that's there. You feel melancholy when he tells these stories. You feel sadness in him, even though he's just a delightful person to listen to these stories and he can tell a story with the best of them really, but he, you do feel a sadness in him um, that's clearly there. And I think that's the, the duality of him that makes him such a compelling person that he is Absolutely. not just one thing that you can clearly define and boil down into just this, you know, kind of, is he this silly kind of Mark Twain esque guy spinning yarns or is he the world's most dangerous drug dealer? Um, yeah, he's both. And I think we're all a combination of things that are often in opposition to one another, that we are these things that that don't necessarily line up perfectly. And I think that's what's so compelling about him because that humanity that you see in him that exists in all of us, really. I mean, anybody that is just one thing is presenting one thing. I don't believe them when they say that. Most definitely. And and that's a really, it couldn't have made it more valid and it's more a more valid point. Um, but it speaks volumes, but like we already talked about, there are no DE agents that make the largest cocaine bust, the largest drug bust in American history at the time, and still are like, hey, bud, you know what I mean? Good yeah. to see. They still kept in touch, and they talked on the phone, and, you know, they talk about sports, and it was just, 
because they knew it too. You know, they knew that it was very, um, you know, but they saw George when the train had already gone off the tracks. And I think that they, they realized where that came from. And it was a source of desperation at the time, you know, and it totally spun out of control. And really, once you start doing that, and you're already Pablo Escobar's vehicle to the United States, you can't say, you can't have a, oh shit moment and pull out. You know what I mean? You got to keep going um, or else you're going to get killed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but, you know, unless, unless you're going to be wild like Carlos later and go buy yourself an island with, you know, dudes on, on, the, on there with machine guns and like really take things on a different direction. Like you just had to keep moving. And uh, George got caught up, got caught up in the most negative, negative aspects of that. And, um, you know, to the point where he lost any chance of a family life and any chance, chance of any type of normalcy at all. And, Unfortunately, like we all know from watching any, any, um, Western, that's what happens. There is a showdown at some point and George, uh, George lost that fight. So it just happened that just happened to go that way. That's the, the, I, th- I think there's a important part of the story that you can take away that I'm glad that it's grounded in that side of it. That it's not, and even every version of this story, I feel like people want to tell the full version of him because you don't want to make it the glamorous side where it's just this, you know, uh, it's not realistic, it's not honest, because the real actual story of it is so much more compelling, so much more interesting. If you were to tell the, you know, sort of glamorous, glamorized version of this, it wouldn't have the teeth that this does. And I think that this is such an important story and one that I think that we'll be revisiting for long after he's gone, you know, that this is the next generation will probably tell a different version of this story because it's just something that we need to continually revisit because this is a idea that you make one mistake because there's an opportunity and then how that builds upon itself and where you can end up five years down the road from now, that's any one of us could have fallen victim to that as a 22 year old kid. Yeah. I would have made all these mistakes for sure, but I wouldn't have had the charm that he did to, make it last as long as he did for sure. That's the other side of the messages that we receive all the time is thank you for saving my life because they watched the movie or they read the book or whatever it was. And they're like, I need to pull out because it's going too far. You know what I mean? It's, I need to get out of the game. I need to move away from it. And, um, and yeah, whether it was like too late and they, you know, saw this, you know, heard the story while they were already in prison and then came out to have their own redemption story or whatever it was, we see those messages all, I mean, every day. Of just, you know, them being like, this saved my life because I realized that someone who was the biggest badass of all time and had everything, it just got ripped away in one second. Um, so I think that that's a really good message for all the kids out there not to smuggle. Large <laughs> quantities of cocaine. Of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If you don't, have the opportunity do to do business with El Chapo, go ahead and pass. It's not going to end <laughs> yeah. well for you. We, yeah. The Boston George team and G2C Productions does not advise you whatsoever to do that. It's it's crazy, though, because you never know what the thing that's going to impact you will be. Um, I was a smoker for 15 years, and I'd heard my entire life all the dangers around it, and I still did it, and picked up cigarettes when I was 15, smoked till I was 30. Then randomly one day, I just heard somebody tell the story of how they quit smoking. And it just made sense to me for whatever reason it connected. And I never smoked again. I haven't smoked since I'm 46 years old. It's been 16 years. You never know when that cautionary tale is actually just going to hit the right person at the right time. It might feel trite and small, but these kinds of things do actually have an impact that you might not really see that there's honesty there that you could really 
affect change in ways you probably wouldn't see when you're making a project like this. Yeah. But thank you both so much for taking the time to do this today. I really do appreciate it. I think this is, um, people are going to have a blast with this. You're nervous about your kid coming out into the world. Yeah. It's people are going to, they're going to dig it. Yeah. You, you, you have, you have, you have good parents yeah. and a good child. So yeah. you're going to be fine. Well, I don't know about the good child yet. Um, he, he's a bit of a pain in the ass, but uh, we, Listen, I, Georgia, miss, I miss talking to him. Yeah, for sure. At least Georgia, Georgia's face maybe only a mother could love, but he has a personality that everyone will love, and it's definitely going to be <laughs> fabulous. And it'll, 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 be, it'll be good, exciting times for the next three weeks, and hopefully for much, much, much longer than that. This is going to be that kind of thing that people share. I think that it's the... Um, we're in that day and age where people are always looking for something that they can binge, that they can get through that they haven't seen yet. Um, and yeah, this is, this is one of those ones that I would feel very comfortable sharing with uh, all kinds of different people, really. I mean, anybody that's interested in good storytelling. Yeah. This is not a dry story. So Thank you're definitely you. going to be Thank entertained you. by it. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. And it was really nice to Thank meet you. both of you and best nice of luck meeting you as well. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm sorry. I said it was. It was great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Have a good day, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.
voice crack.